Welcome to D.A.R.E., the show for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders who dare to shape the future. Your hosts today are Ned Hayes and Cecilia Mariani. D.A.R.E. is brought to you by Darwaf, the superpower tech team that can make your vision a reality. The D.A.R.E. podcast is happy to welcome Amina Moreau to the show today. Amina is a seasoned entrepreneur. She's founded five successful companies, sold two of them. She's also led a team that won five Emmy Awards. Radios is her next big thing, an online marketplace that turns houses, apartments, and other residences into collaborative workspaces that are rentable by your company today. So welcome, Amina. Thanks for having me, Ned. Excited to chat. We're very excited to have you. Part of the reason we were excited to chat with you is that the uh, space that you're in is going through a real upheaval. Uh, Things have changed. So this week when we're going to broadcast this, I I believe that WeWork is going to be declaring bankruptcy. And that was a billion dollar company, more than and highly valued. So does WeWork uh, declaring bankruptcy mean that the game is over here? Far from it. My goodness, you're absolutely right. It has shifted tremendously and it's such a fast moving industry. Oh my goodness. And the whole conversation about the future of work day to day, week to week, it's dramatically different every time I turn my head. No, this is not game over for the industry. It might be for WeWork. Okay. But if you look at the trends, the co-working and flex office industry grew by 10% last quarter alone. Really? There is huge demand for flexible workspace solutions that allow companies to pay on a fractional basis, have a greater sense of agility in times of great unknown, which we're smack dab in the middle of, Mm-hmm. plus offering their employees the flexibility and choice that they crave. So what WeWork is going through right now is very unique to them. Got it. So before we talk about where the industry is actually going, I wondered if you could unpack for us a little bit of what went wrong with WeWork. I know commentators have talked about it, but mm-hmm. I haven't. So I'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts on what went wrong. Yeah, I think that there are two things that happened to them or that they brought on themselves, however you want to look at it, that a lot of people aren't actually talking about. The first is that most of their locations are in city centers. This is problematic because if you look at national statistics, the biggest barrier to returning to the office is the commute. Most people don't live downtown. Really? The majority of employoees, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> let me true. tell you something you don't yeah. already know. Most right. employees live in the burbs, right? And so by definition, if WeWork is, is downtown, then you have to commute to get there. And if the biggest barrier is the commute, then that is struggle for them, number one. Mm. Number two, which more people are talking about now, is simply their business model. They have signed major long-term lease commitments that they are on the hook to pay for regardless of customer usage. 
when you pair that with point number one and customer usage being down because people don't want to drive there, then that spells bad news. That spells trouble. And we're seeing that trouble now. Right. And I don't think the way that Adam Newman managed the company really helped them either, I would imagine. Granted, it's been a few years since that era. Right. And there were some things that they did to mitigate uh, his impact, shall we say. Yeah, well, well, um, well, you're being very, very politic. And I won't kind of belabor the point there because the market has changed. Now we have companies like um, Gable and Liquid Space and Industrious and also Radius. So yep. tell us about what you're doing. Yeah, well, for that reason exactly, we're focused on the burbs. Hmm. So if the biggest barrier to returning to the office is the commute, let's let's eliminate the commute. (laughs) It seems like a pretty simple equation to me. And uh, I think you'll find that those flex office operators that are focusing on close to home spaces, they are typically outperforming those that are in city centers, right? It's not just WeWork that has Mm -hmm co-working spaces in the city. There are, there's a good number of companies like that. What makes Radius so different Mm -hmm. is first of all, we're creating a wide network of spaces. We don't just have one or two in a city, we have hundreds. And as we grow as a company, eventually it'll be thousands. And so that means a couple of things. First of all, means you can find one that's close to home, potentially within walking distance of where you live. You just browse by neighborhood Mm -hmm. and find what you're looking for from an amenities standpoint and a size and capacity standpoint, because it could be just for you, but it could also be for a weekly team co-working day. So the close to home part is one element, but the other benefit to having a network is that it opens up the possibility to meet more conveniently with teams, regardless Mm -hmm. of frequency, regardless of team size, because maybe one week you're meeting with people for whom it's convenient to book a space over here. And then maybe the next week you're meeting with slightly different people and it's more convenient to be over there. And if you're limited to just one or two co-working spaces or one central office, then it maybe equally inconvenient for everyone or it's convenient just for a select few but if you have right. a network of hundreds maybe thousands of spaces all within a region then all of a sudden the sky's the limit so those right. are a couple of the biggest differentiators for us right and you also have a, a marketplace model right so so can yeah. you explain what the marketplace model means and how that makes a difference Exactly. So if you look at WeWork, a big component of their downfall is that they signed these leases and had all these fixed costs. We have none of that. Mm. So not only are we close to home for users, but let's say there were another pandemic tomorrow. Goodness, like, let me knock on wood somewhere really quickly. (laughs) Right, right. I hope not. But but you never never know, right? In in Portland, Oregon right now, there's a teacher's strike. Kids are home from school and parents are having to scramble, which means businesses that employ them are having to scramble right now. You never know what is going to hit your business, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, the beauty of a marketplace model like ours is that we are just the matchmaker between underutilized space Mm -hmm. and people who need space on 
a an on-demand or an as-needed basis, which means that for us as a model, it gives us a great level of agility if the world were somehow to implode Mm-hmm. and usage went drastically down, we would be able to weather that. And for what it's worth, the companies who subscribe to our service, because it's on demand, because it's extremely flexible, if things were to happen with the world, and they had to scale down their space need, you can do that instantly. That's so much harder to do with a model that isn't a marketplace. Right. And I think that we discovered during COVID that although people enjoy working not in the office, they don't necessarily want to work out of their living room. So um, oh goodness, did the yes. pandemic uh, teach other people than me that that truth? <laughs> yeah. I think that for some people, the pandemic forced something that they really, really wanted all along, but maybe never realized it. Mm-hmm. I'm an introvert. I am far more productive if you put me in a little room without anybody else. And so working from home was a godsend for me mm-hmm. when it became possible. Some extroverts, maybe not so much. Right. But I think you make a really important point that working from home and working from a traditional office, those aren't the only two options. And so you see all of these headlines and and RTO mandates, return to office mandates, where it's pitting the two against each other. The problem with that sort of thinking is that both have significant downsides. They both have upsides, but they also both have really tough pain points to deal with. And sometimes, because we've been programmed to think Mm -hmm. that there are only these two, you start to force one as a solution for the pain points of the other and vice versa. And that's tremendously limiting. Right, right. Because what if you could open up your mind to all of these other options that actually maybe eliminate all of the pain points of both and have just the upsides? Right. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So so it's the third place instead of either an office in a remote place or downtown or being being in your living room or your dining room or, you know, God forbid, your bedroom. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, you, you can be in a third place that that feels yeah. office like that might be more convenient, that has colleagues or, or has co-workers, but also doesn't feel like an office cubicle. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's so pre pandemic. We're not going back to that. And I I think I think all employers at this point know that if they want to get people back together again, they've got to give them a reason. Mm -hmm. And it's also got to be in an inspiring and conveniently located location. You know, you've got to earn the commute. But then if you can minimize the commute, even better. Right. Just to cite two examples, I was at Nike and at Intel this week. And um, mm-hmm. Nike has a return to office mandate. You have to be there four days a week. And mm-hmm. Intel does not, although they want to have teams more co-located. So yeah. Intel really has a, a campus that has emptied out. People are there, but not the way they were pre-pandemic. And sure. Nike has tons of people on campus, but not all of them are happy. So, right. so, so as you said, balancing those two needs, th- there must mm-hmm. be a place in between. Yeah, I, there, there absolutely does. And I actually have a friend who works at Nike who lives in Northeast Portland. Mm-hmm. And for anybody listening that doesn't know the Portland geography, if you live in Northeast Portland and commute to Nike campus, on 
a good day with no traffic is going to take you maybe 25, 30 minutes, but there's always traffic (laughs) on that road. And so it could take you an hour, maybe more at certain times of day, usually rush hour when everybody is going there. Right. And so I don't know, we have 30, 40 radius spaces in Northeast Portland. How many people are there? that work for Nike, that live on the east side of Portland, who could not just save time and have more flexibility, but also save on fossil fuel burning. I mean, it's an environmental issue to force people back. And the beautiful thing about third places is that they're everywhere. And so it's better for the environment. It's better for working professionals. And, you know, this this friend of mine who who works there, she was pretty candid with me that when, when the mandate went from two to three days to four days, she took it as a lack of trust in the Mm -hmm. workforce. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of people say that it's made them feel a lot less loyal. So to your point, they might be going back to the office, but maybe they're less engaged. I have a feeling a good number of them are starting to shop around for other employment options. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for the long term of a company? It's not just about losing your people. What what about the people who stay who are still unhappy? Right. What does that do right. for your culture? Absolutely. And, and if you hire trusted people and trust them to do their best work, uh, you might want to give them some flexibility to do it the best way for them. Yep. And I yeah. don't disagree that in-person togetherness is valuable. I think it absolutely is. We are, as a species, social. And Zoom and Google Meets and all of those services, they're, they're, they're great. They serve a purpose, mm-hmm. but they're not the be-all, end-all for the rest of our lives. It's nice to shake hands with someone, hug them, and have that in-person collaboration and banter. Right. It's, just, it's just for anybody who thinks that the office is the only place you can do that, they're kidding themselves. Right. And it's right. just way too limiting. Yeah. Well, we've just talked about Portland some and Radius Uh is based here in Portland. So why Portland? Yeah. Well, part of it is because we live here. (laughs) Most of us anyway. Right. Uh, Not all of us, though. But Portland actually ranks. It's at the top of the list nationally for companies offering flexibility and Mm -hmm. the number of remote workers. Portland in general is a pretty open-minded city offering people flexibility you actually see that quite a bit along the coasts and you know there there are different trends across the country uh also portland has some really interesting and creative land use regulations portland has the most adus and guest houses in people's backyards per capita of any city in the united states and so it's it's a it opens up a lot of doors for taking underutilized space and offering it up. You know, let's say you will need to get together with two or three people that all live within a five or ten minute biking radius of you. You want to get together for a work day. You can book your neighbor's guest house turned office that has a whiteboard and has a TV you can plug into to do a slide presentation. And you have all of the. Uh, the amenities of the office with all the comforts of home. And Portland is just great for that. But there are other cities that are great too that mm-hmm. we've started expanding into already. Right. Well, you have quite a history uh, at being an entrepreneur. And I was curious if you could just talk a little bit about your experience creating film with the group Still Motion. I guess you won some Emmys? 
We we did. We did win some ed- Emmys. We so look, some people call themselves serial entrepreneurs. I call myself a chronic entrepreneur because let's face it, it is a little bit of a sickness. You have to you have to have a special kind of crazy in your mind to to choose this over and over and over again because it is tough. It's grueling. But when you are working on something that brings you a lot of meaning and a great sense of purpose, regardless of whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working inside of a company, when you have purpose behind your work, Mm -hmm. it makes all of the stepping stones, whether they are happy, sad, exciting, frustrating, it makes all of those emotions worth it because you're working towards something that's bigger than yourself. And still motion was a really, uh, and continues to be a really great example of that. So it was founded in a college dorm room almost 20 years ago. And it was simply two young college students that wanted to make a hobby more sustainable. We just wanted to do more of the thing that we love doing. Uh And it meant making a little money at it so that we could afford a little more camera gear and afford to keep doing it and also feed ourselves. And it eventually ended up growing faster than we expected it to, partly because we decided from the very beginning that we weren't just going to do what everyone else was doing. And there's, there's something to be said for finding good mentors, but we kind of wanted to ignore what the rest of the industry was doing. And and, and, and chart our own path. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, we differentiated ourselves significantly in the industry. And it just so happened that people wanted what we were offering. And it uh, it ended up incubating that company, several other startup ideas, because as we put it out into the world, we noticed that the industry had some market gaps that we felt we could fill. And mm-hmm. we thought, what, wouldn't it be exciting if we could tackle this this micro problem that actually might be bigger than a lot of people realize? And so we'd roll out a startup here and another startup there. And fast forward, we're five companies and two of them have been acquired since. And three of them continue to operate successfully under our uh, umbrella still. And it's fun. It's It's grueling. <laughs> at times it really is but it is fun and it's very meaningful oh that's fantastic well i i was just looking over your resume too and you have a number of companies that you've worked on worked with co-founded launched had acquired but of that list four or five of them have the word story in them uh-huh. so it seems like you're a storyteller so tell me how you got yeah. into storytelling and what that's all about and let me just tell you that the word storytelling has become such a buzzword over right. the last decade, right? Everybody's a storyteller, which means nobody is, <laughs> or there's a select few, but uh, they're camouflaged. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a tough thing. You know, when we first started in the film industry, we weren't storytellers. No, we weren't. We were just a couple of kids that liked making pretty pictures. That's mm-hmm. what it was about for us. There wasn't a whole lot of depth to the the videos we were making. They eventually became films. We started to think a little bit more about the language that we used. But in the beginning, it was just about pretty pictures. But no matter how how quickly you innovate in that space, 
-hmm. it starts to get old after a while, just focusing on aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And it was one day when we took the time to get to know the characters uh -huh. for whom we were telling these stories and started becoming friends with them and realized, hey, wait a minute. These, these people are fascinating. And every time you tell a story about different people, they're fascinating in endlessly fascinating new ways. Uh -huh. That's when then we, we, we started becoming obsessed with the work that we were doing. And that's when the story element really started to come in and not just getting to know characters and having character driven stories, but you, by using our psychology backgrounds, because that's what our educational background was in. For the first time, we started using what we knew about psychology and behavioral economics and how the brain processes information and how to use suspense to your benefit and how to really engross people in your messaging, whether it's a documentary or if it's fiction or it's a corporate video that's trying to sell you something. Or even if it's a podcast. <laughs> or a podcast, right? That's Storytelling right. is everywhere. And this is why it's become a, a little bit of a buzzword. But what we're doing right now is as much storytelling as watching a, a Hollywood film. Right. And if you can, if you can actually borrow some of the storytelling principles that those in Hollywood employ to keep you glued to the screen in a podcast mm -hmm. environment, people will never stop listening. Right. Right. Well, we hope that we're creating a great story here because I keep mm -hmm. talking to smart people who tell great stories. So I just let them talk. <laughs> and you've also done your research, right? You know, we only just met through LinkedIn messaging mm -hmm. maybe 24 hours ago. And it, but the fact that you've taken the time to get to know me and not just my resume, but me as a human in that time, it makes this conversation that much more engaging for both of us and hopefully for the audience as well, right? And so storytelling, it's not just on the interviewee, it's on the interviewer too. Oh, well, I think that's a compliment, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, since we're at the tail end, I need to wrap up with our big question of uh, what do you dare to dream? Yeah, I, dare to dream about a flexible future. <laughs> Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, what if we're wrong? Mm. What if we're wrong about the future of work and that eventually old fashioned stodgy companies are just gonna call everybody back five days a week and the dream of flexible work is just over. We were just wrong. And I refuse to answer his question, frankly. <laughs> because it doesn't make sense for it to not be flexible. Mm -hmm. It actually costs companies less to offer flexibility. Because if you can not renew your big lease, which is typically the second biggest expense after payroll. Right. If you can let that go and book workspaces on demand when your people actually want to get mm -hmm. together, then they get the flexibility that they crave. They feel trusted by their employer and the company saves a ton of money in the process. Mm. And so I, I cannot imagine a world that is less flexible than pre-pandemic times. If anything, and Nick Bloom from Stanford who researches this stuff for a living, 
he is seeing, speaking of Nike, he's predicting a Nike swoosh shaped curve. Mm. We are just at the beginning of a flexible work future. Flex work is only going to increase. And that is not just the dream. I think it's the reality. Well, that's great to hear. Thank you so much for coming on the Dara podcast. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Same here. Thanks for having me. Thanks to our guests today for their great insights on D.A.R.E., the podcast for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders. If you'd like your story to be featured on D.A.R.E., just contact us at info at darwaft.com. D.A.R.E. is brought to you by Darwaft, the tech team that can make your vision a reality.